Hi, I'm Molly, and you're listening to the Mind Matters podcast. I have a thing called misophonia, which means I have a strong reaction to certain sounds. Not many people know what it is, and sometimes that makes it harder. My younger sister has OCD, and lots of people misunderstand what that means for her. That's why I've made this podcast, to help people learn more about some commonly misunderstood or little-known disorders, so that we can all live life with a little more empathy. The way I live my life and the way I see the world is so fundamentally different, not wrong, but different than um, people without ADHD. Sometimes people refer to ADHD as a superpower, and I like that. Today, I'll be speaking to Annabelle March, who was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 17. So, can you tell us a little bit about your ADHD story? So, I only got diagnosed with ADHD last year, in my last year of high school, so I was year 13. Um, and it was, it was about this time last year, so it was kind of in the last few weeks of high school, and it was only really because of a teacher that I met last year, Bridget Compton-Mowen, <laughs> who said to me that she thought that I might have ADHD. And I think the reason it wasn't picked up beforehand was because I was identified as gifted in primary school. And so I think there's a lot of um, misconceptions around being ha- being gifted and also having something like ADHD. So I think that it wasn't really ever um, thought of as an option, which is why it got to 17 before I got diagnosed. How different do you think your school years would have been if you'd been diagnosed with ADHD sooner? Very different. <laughs> because I think, I think the best explanation I can give is in primary school, I adored school because I love learning. And in primary school, there wasn't... Um, as much, it, there's a thing called executive functioning, and that's what really um, underpins the, a lot of struggles with ADHD. So essentially, executive functioning is the part of your brain that sort of deals with all like organisation and self-managing and all that fun stuff. Um, and for people with ADHD, that's severely lacking. And so, in primary school, because of the age that you are in primary school, a lot of that stuff is done for you and so all I had to do was just learn which I loved and so when I got to middle and senior school and I had to uh, do it myself I guess like the organization skills that's when I started really struggling. Um, How does an ADHD diagnosis work? Well it's a very long process (laughs) Uh, and it's a tough process because you can either go through the public system or you can pay a lot of money and go private. But if you go through the public system, you basically, you're, you're waiting years, first of all, because we, the services are so, um, they don't have enough money. There's, the waiting lists are huge with people who, who are on this waiting list to get diagnosed with ADHD. And so oftentimes the people that do get diagnosed or the people that get moved to the top of the waiting list are those which display like the typical stereotypical characteristics of ADHD that disrupt others and annoy others. Whereas people like me and especially girls a lot of the time, because girls often much more underdiagnosed than boys because our hyperactivity 
is oftentimes a lot more internalized. So it's um, so for, you know, we, we missed out and I was very lucky to be able to go private, which was a lot of money um, and still a very long process. So it's not just like one interview with a person and they go, you've got ADHD, you haven't got ADHD um, because they can't, they have to make sure that because it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, you're born with it. And they have to make sure that this is not just something that's um, something else um, an effect of something else. So they, mine was like months long. She, I did a couple of sessions with her. She talked to my teachers. She read my reports. She read school reports. She read my preschool books um, because it, it's a very, very thorough process because there's, um, they have to make sure that it, it, it is ADHD and it is, has been there since, you know, you were born. Otherwise, sometimes the characteristics could be a result of something else. There are different types of ADHD, aren't there? It's kind of changed over time. There used to be, I'm not sure if you've heard of like ADD and ADHD, that was usually like two separate things, but now it's one big umbrella term of ADHD. And within that, you can have ADHD inattentive type, which is what was ADD, attention deficit disorder. So ADHD inattentive type, ADHD hyperactivity, hyperactive type or ADHD combined type. And so that's what I have. ADHD combined type is just basically both the hyperactivity and the um, inattentiveness. Mm -hmm. What situations are particularly difficult for you due to your ADHD? <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> um, a lot of social situations are um, because for AD people with ADHD, it's we often very are very... Um, impulsively blurt stuff out or there's not really that um filter um and so sometimes I you know say something that is not appropriate for that particular situation so like if I was talking to um a principal sometimes I get confused about you know I can't use the sort of terminology I use when I'm talking with my friends when I'm talking with a principal if that makes mm -hmm. sense um so that's often very hard because it comes across a lot of the time as like very rude and so I often end up because after as soon as I've said it I'm like oh my gosh no and so I end up explaining myself um, and feeling really bad um uh, the other I think situation is is work um and work and friendships so there's the thing I really want to touch on it's called RSD um rejection sensitive dysphoria and it's a huge part of what makes up ADHD and rejection sensitive dysphoria is a often a really physical reaction to perceived or real rejection. And this can come in the form of like, if someone texts me and says, okay, but usually they're like, okay, with a bunch of emojis, my brain might freak out and go, oh my gosh, they hate me. <laughs> Even though there's, it's completely absurd and it's completely irrational but there is this yeah thing in my brain and my emotions will go oh my gosh they hate me and just it's like a wee roller coaster do you have different tactics you use when dealing with adhd yes um for people like with bridget uh i she can tell often tell when i have read something the wrong way 
and she'll go that by the way just to clarify that's not what i you know blah 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 or i've learned to actually just clarify myself like ask for reassurance sometimes or if it's not appropriate to ask for reassurance sometimes i just have to tell myself and make myself believe that that is the RSD is my brain tricking me so yeah I can do it some of the time it, it, it's tricky some of the time but um you know through my diagnosis I've learned a lot of new skills to be able to help that what kind of treatment are you having for ADHD yeah so um I am on a medication for ADHD and it has been life-changing um it works for me uh, which I'm very lucky about I remember the first day I went on the first day I had the medication last year um, in November at school I started crying because everything was just so it was like putting glasses on for the first time you know not being able to see and then putting glasses on and then suddenly everything's just clear um and my brain was slow like my brain had slowed down and I could think and it was just the most incredible experience so in terms of like treatment because ADHD isn't something that can be I guess like it's a it's a lifelong um you know condition to, that you live with but there's treatment in terms of how to manage the bad like the things that people struggle with so like for my RSD I have help on how to manage that but for someone else they may not need help on managing that they might find some other part of the ADHD trickier which they use something else to manage so it's very very different between people but the main sort of overriding thing is, is that there is medication and that medication has for me been absolutely life-changing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are there positives to having ADHD? Yes, there are so many. Um, sometimes people refer to ADHD as a superpower, and I like that. But I also think that it's important that we recognise that along with it being a superpower, that doesn't um, take away the struggles that come with it. So for me, the, the things that I really love about my ADHD is I feel big emotions and sometimes it's a bad thing but that also means that I just nature being out in nature makes me so happy and seeing um beautiful beautiful things makes me so so joyful inside and it's like this this joy that um is sort of like just envelops you um I think also I have an easy time, or not an easy time, but I find it easy to get along with people or talk to people and include new people, even though I may not like feel comfortable myself, my brain just talks and talks and talks. And oftentimes that makes the other person feel feel at ease and comfortable, which is really nice. So there's a lot of things I love, yeah, about my ADHD. But uh, alongside that is it also doesn't undermine the fact that there's also like struggles that go alongside that. Do people commonly misunderstand what it means to have ADHD when you tell them that you have it? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think because only recently have we really started to recognise ADHD for what it actually is. Because when it was first sort of a diagnosis, it was based upon the characteristics of like little little boys and what I mean by that is little boys that 
there was a certain stereotype that they, you know, just ran around the classroom and yelling and disrupting people and whatnot. And so for a lot of people, and especially older people like my grandparents, that's what they think of when they think of ADHD. And they think of a disruptive child that can't really engage properly in academia and stuff. And so for me, when I got diagnosed, I had to explain to a lot of people that it wasn't actually that, um, that that was a manifestation of some of the hyperactivity for some people, but that it was so much more, it's a fundamental brain difference in my brain structure. Um, that doesn't mean that I have, that there's anything wrong with me. And it doesn't mean that there's anything deficit based about me. Um, but it means that my brain, it's simply like, it's neurodiverse. It, it's a cognitive difference and it works in a different way, but not a wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, yeah. I think that we're getting as a society, like what you're doing, Molly, is really, I'm so stoked about it because this is what's going to help break down the misconceptions that people have still about stuff like this. Mm -hmm. What do you wish people understood about ADHD? (laughs) That it's more than just talking really fast and being distracted and running around, that it's more than just those surface level things, that it encompasses that you know, it affects every part of my day-to-day life. It's a because it's a difference in brain structure, you know, my executive functioning skills, my big emotions. The way I see the world is fundamentally different from people who don't have ADHD. And so it oftentimes feels quite disempowering when people view or see ADHD as just the surface level distractibility thing when the way I live my life and the way I see the world is so fundamentally different, not wrong, but different than um, people without ADHD. How important do you think it is for people to talk more openly about ADHD? So important. That's why I started my Instagram account because when I was going through the diagnostic process, a lot of what helped me and Bridget was that we looked at a lot of um, other people's sort of stories and Instagram and and online resources that really made me feel less alone. Because a lot of the times I think that information regarding what it actually is is inaccessible in the sense that it's like very deep in a medical journal for a psychologist. Um, and so it's not written in a way that's accessible to like you and I. And so I think that when we sort of break that down into formats that people can understand like on social media and the like that's so important because that's how we break those misconceptions down because it's in a format that people can access and understand and Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) do you think that your ADHD diagnosis had has led you to a particular career pathway oh 100 (laughs) percent um because I started year 13 um thinking that I was going to study law because that's what everyone else seemed to want me to do. And it was a combination of being, you know, being around in the junior school at St Margaret's last year and realising that when I got my ADHD diagnosis that my brain was so interest-based that it would be doing a disservice to go and do law when I didn't actually really want to do law because I wasn't, I was never going to be happy or thriving in, in something that I wasn't, extremely passionate about um and so that's why I've fallen down the teaching road because one that's where my true passion lies and 
it gets me out of bed every day and I want to actually do the work and I want to learn and the whole novelty, the interest-based brain, it it's what my brain truly wants. And so I think if I didn't have the ADHD diagnosis, I'm not sure whether I would be so set on being a teacher because I think that I would have perhaps just gone with what everyone else thought I should do and become and go and do law. But knowing that I know understanding myself and knowing that that's not right for me and, and that I need to actually go and do what is going to make me the happiest is yeah so I want to be a primary school teacher that's my big dream. Are you hoping you'll make a difference for other neurodiverse kids as a teacher? I hope so I really really hope so that's my if someone asked me why like why do you want to be a teacher what makes you want to be a teacher it would be that to to make a difference for neurodiverse children in my classroom and and I I look at Bridget and I look at, you know, how how her junior school is so inclusive and accepting and that inspires me so much. And that's, I, I aspire to be the kind of teacher that she is. And that is one that, you know, makes, changes lives, essentially. She changes lives and that's what I want to do. I, I want every single child to come to school each day knowing that they're coming to a safe space and we are fully supported and valued. Mm -hmm. What do you think we should be doing as a society to make things better for people with conditions like ADHD? Well, I think what you're doing is, is, is so, as part of, you know, one of the really important things that, that we should do. And that is just talking about it, um, talking about it wherever, whenever, um, in whatever format. The more we talk about it, the more we break down the stigma, the more we normalise the fact that this is a thing and it's not a bad thing. Yeah, so I think that what you're doing is so important and the more we do that, the more we just continue to chip away at this, yeah, stigma. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Annabelle, for speaking so honestly about your ADHD. If you would like to learn more about Annabelle's ADHD journey, you can follow her Instagram page, Annabelle and ADHD. In my next episode, I'll be exploring another commonly misunderstood disorder called OCD. Thank you for listening.